Well, good morning. I think you can do a little bit better than that. Good morning. Is it okay if I set my water there? You say, I don't care where you set your water. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, those lyrics can just wash over you, can't they? Uh, how glorious. Carlos, thank you for your worship leadership. Thank you, orchestra. Thank you, sanctuary choir. Thank you, Tallowood players who are no longer here. Um, <laughs> now, that's a good gig when you can come and do your deal and then not have to suffer through the sermon. <laughs> I must confess that when I was looking over the order of worship today, I was really heartened. Because anytime you have a rudder anthem and Fernanda Ortega, the sermon can stink and people can still worship. <laughs> so I was really encouraged. So I hope the sermon doesn't stink, because if it does, you're not going to come back this evening, and Lord knows, certainly not Monday and Tuesday evening, and so let's hope that it doesn't. Uh, it's an awesome honor to be here. Tallowood is a church that I hold in the highest of esteem. I love your ministerial staff. We so appreciate all that you are and all that you do. Thank you, Dr. Brooks. You honor me, sir, uh, with the invitation to be here. There are 66 books in the library that we call our Bible, one of which is James. For these next three days, we're going to study just James. James was called the just, old camel knees, and if you would take a Bible and turn it to James 1, this is where we will begin our series of lessons. James chapter 1. It really doesn't matter what version you hold in your hand. The Word of God is able to speak across the ages, even to us this morning. Let's listen to and for the Word of God together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, reads James 1.1 to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. Greetings. Count it pure joy, brothers, sisters, whenever you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that endurance have its full effect, in order that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But since you lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all people generously and without reproach, and it will be given unto you. But ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not this one expect to receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. Verse 12, if you will. Blessed is the one who endures trial. For when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to the ones who love Him. Let no one say when tempted. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one to evil. But each person is carried away and tempted by their own lust, and then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved friends. Every good thing bestowed. And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. Disease and divorce and drought and depression and difficulties with a roommate or in a class. Homesickness, 
lack or loss of finances, and so and on we could go. These are examples of trials that mark our lives, that can even mar our lives, that can stunt our spiritual growth. Trials are those unwelcome guests that knock upon the door of our lives and they bring confusion. And they can even begin to cause us to question if God is good and if God is just. As James commences his letter to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, he does so with this tumultuous topic of trials. And as he does, he wants us to be aware that trials are inevitable. It's not a matter of if trials will come, it's a matter of when. Did you catch it in the text? Consider it all joy whenever you encounter various trials. Would that trials not come, but it's part and parcel of the human condition. Now there are some who say that the Christian life is all honey, no bees, no work, all ease. They would want us to think as if though it's a bridge over troubled waters. But such proclamation flies in the face of Jesus' declaration in this world you will have trouble. There's bound to come some trouble in your life. Trials are inevitable. But the plot thickens. People, you and I, are vulnerable. We're not invincible. We don't walk around with spiritual S on our chests. We are, in fact, frail children of dust, and we're feeble as we are frail. There are some who would want us to think, like William Ernest Henley, that I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my own soul in his well-known poem, Invictus. But the truth of the matter is this. James says that we are a mist, a vapor, in chapter 4 of his letter. We're here today, and truth be told, we're gone tomorrow. When it's all said and passed, when the smoke clears and the dust settles, our life is but the dash in between our year of birth and our year of death. We are, in fact, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. James says that we are vulnerable, not invincible. We're vulnerable in our human condition to any number of problems and temptations. James says, first of all, that we are susceptible to doubt. That's why he enjoins us to pray without doubt. If we were not prone to doubt, there would be no reason for this admonition not to doubt. Now, some of us truth be told, have doubted deeply. And it's probably difficult to believe deeply if we've not doubted at least some. If we've not walked on the shoals of skepticism from time to time. The difficulty is not visiting the place called doubt. The difficulty is dwelling there. Because if we reside there, 
ultimately doubt will begin to lead us into a place where we begin to be double-minded. More about that in a moment. You might remember Mother Teresa. You say, might, of course I remember Mother Teresa. That gnarled nun from Calcutta. In her memoirs, we learn that she struggled with faith. She, of all people. For some, that diminishes this woman. For me, it only further confirms that here is someone who was faithful, even in the dark night of the soul, even the difficult days. Doubt may well be inevitable, but it doesn't have to defeat us. And we don't have to ultimately become divided people. This is what so concerns James. He says, when you pray, don't doubt. Because if you doubt, you become like a surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not this one expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded. The word is literally two-souled. Being a two-souled person, because when you're divided, you're unstable. If we were to find a theme woven through James, it might be this theme of wholeness or integrity. Do you ever jump into James and feel as if though there is no rhythm or rhyme to this work, it feels somewhat like Proverbs, doesn't it? It's a patchwork quilt. Well, there actually is a method to James's madness. The truth is, in the initial chapter, he touches upon topics to which he shall return, albeit not systematically nor sequentially. And one of the things that James wants to drive in is that we ought not be people who are divided in our devotion. Another thing that we see in James is that there are many allusions to, and in fact on occasion quotations from, the Sermon on the Mount. This comes as no surprise. He had listened to elder brother. Recall that place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon or money or God and fill in the blank. James says, as humans, we're vulnerable to doubt and double-mindedness, and also deceit. We can be deceived by Satan. We can be deceived by others. But James wants to call our attention to the fact that we can be self-deceived. James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters, don't be duped. Don't play the Flip Wilson card saying the devil made me do it. Because at the end of the day, you're deceived when you're carried away and enticed by your own lust. It's fishing metaphor. Then when lust has conceived, he changes in midstream to pregnancy metaphor. It gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, that is full term, it brings forth death. So James says, do not be deceived. Because when we're deceived, we find ourselves in this cycle of spiritual despair. And we begin to lose our way. James says, do not be deceived. 
I don't know if you watch much television. I don't. Sometimes on Sunday afternoons, I will turn on that sleep-inducing sport called golf. And when I'm watching, I actually like golf. I'm not with Frost, who regards it a good walk ruined. I, I like the sport. But on Sunday afternoons, it leads to slumber. Jim Nance has this way of lulling me to sleep. And so, here we are watching golf out of kind of one eye, and this Traveler's commercial comes on. And the modern-day Benji appears. You know the commercial, don't you? Here's Benji, worried about his bone. And... He sees a cat in the backyard and he's worried about this cat relative to his bone. So he begins to dig, knick-knack, patty-whack, give your dog a bone. He puts it underground, covers it up, but he's worried. And all the while in the background, remember, trouble, 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 trouble. Been dogging me since the day I was born, right? And so here now, he does what all smart dogs do. He goes to see his banker. I'm not so sure. My dad's a banker. I I don't know. I might give the dog other advice. But anyway, he makes his way to the bank and he puts his bone in the safety deposit box. But he begins to worry that uh, Wall Street uncertainties may come crashing down on his bone. So he goes back and he gets his bone. And of course, the way the commercial ends is here he is asleep on his bed with a bone in his dish and the traveler's umbrella taking care of everything just like, of course, traveler's insurance always does. And if you work for travelers, you owe me. (laughs) I do work on commission. (laughs) Well, James says, I don't have an umbrella for you, but I have a silver lining and it looks like this. Although trials are inevitable, and although people are vulnerable to doubt and to double-mindedness and deceit, God does not tempt people to evil. God does not tempt people to evil. God allows us to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in all ways, as are we, yet without sin. But God, the message says, Eugene Peterson's fortunate paraphrase runs... That God is impervious to evil, clueless to evil. So he does not tempt us to evil. And because of this, in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations, we can believe that they can be profitable. But we are responsible for our response. So what ought our response be? James says that in the face of affliction, in the cauldron of tribulation, that we ought to be a people who are joyful. Consider it unadulterated joy, James says, when you encounter various trials. We can make a choice to rejoice in the face of trials. Joy is not happiness. I was wanting to think when the Texas Rangers, like boys last night, were jumping all over one another after they demolished, yes, dismantled Detroit. I'm close enough to Arlington that I consider myself in the shadow of Rangerville. 15-5, that's some kind of win 
Let's go Rangers. I'm for the Astros too. Last time I checked, they're not in the World Series though. (laughs) At least not this year. That's okay. I can't wait until they are. I'll root for them. But really what those Texas Rangers were experiencing wasn't joy. It was elation. It was happiness. But joy is that flag flown from the castle of our hearts when the king is in residence. Joy is when all hell breaks loose, a conviction that all heaven is coming to our rescue. Joy is that which can sing songs at midnight, having been beaten with Roman rods. What kind of joy is this that counts it a blessing to suffer? What kind of joy is this that gives a prisoner a song? What kind of joy can stare death in the face and count it a sweet victory This is a joy of a soul that's forgiven and free. James says in the face of trials, we can be, yes, we ought be joyful. Why? Because joy is the debt that Christians owe the world in which we live. We're to be joyful. We're to be prayerful. Sometimes people will say that you haven't got a prayer. Well, friends, I've come your way to say today that whatever else is true, that is not. Whatever else we have, we have a prayer. And James says, since you lack wisdom, you have to ask of God. And you know what? If you ask, you're going to receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. For the one who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. For what guy, what gal, what man, what woman, what father, what mother is there among you? If a son asks for a fish, is going to give back a snake. And if you want a piece of bread as a boy, you're not going to be given back a rock instead. And if you then, if you then, Know how to give good things to your own brood. How much more then will your Father in heaven give that which is good to the ones who ask of Him? Be joyful, James says. Be prayerful. You remember C.S. Lewis, don't you? C.S. Lewis, that remarkable Irish-born Oxbridge Don who was able to speak of suffering before he began to experience acutely the same as God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But then Joy Grisham enters into his life and this common law marriage becomes marriage that was sanctioned by the church and state in a hospital room. And as he sees the love of his life waste away from cancer right before his eyes, he's consoled by his Cambridge colleagues. Don't worry, Jack, they say. She's going to be healed. Don't worry, God will hear your prayers and he will answer. And C.S. Lewis in that fortunate movie called Shadowlands responds, to one would-be consoler. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, no. Prayer changes 
me. Prayer does change things, but the truth is, is that prayer changes us. Even in the face of affliction, and it allows us to be conformed more fully to the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus. And that's what this emphasis this fall is all about, that we would become wholly devoted followers of the one who devoted himself wholly to us. Those who trust him wholly, find him wholly true. James says that in the face of affliction, be joyful, be prayerful. Yes, be faithful. Because after having endured trial, God has promised a crown of life to those who are loving Him. Be faithful in the face of of affliction. The Lord will come. This will pass. John's remarkable vision that there will be a day when God wipes away every tear and we will be made whole. James says, and be mindful. Mindful that trials are building our character and yes, mindful of God's character. That every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above. Great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. I remember my freshman year at Baylor. I took a journalism class. And I must confess that either the class was not particularly invigorating or 8 o'clock did not leave me particularly invigorated. But I don't remember much about it. To be honest, as a professor, that's an indictment to say such things. But nonetheless, I do remember a statement that my journalism prof said. I don't think that it was particularly novel. In fact, I learned that it was the stuff of bumper stickers, but I was a freshman after all. He said, when life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. Have you ever noticed that some of us never get past labeling life's lemons? An economic downturn, premature loss of a spouse or a child. These are serious things, not seeking to make light of them. But we never quite get over the difficulties that such trials bring. I learned from someone like Alexandra Scott... Alexandra was born in 1985. She was diagnosed early on with a rare childhood cancer, neuroblastoma. Alex was told, that is her parents, that she would never leave hospital and if she were, she would never walk. Well, she defied the odds and by the age of two she was walking. The cancer recurred. That which was in remission at age four, she was readmitted into the hospital. Once again, the odds were stacked against her, but she emerged. And she said prior to having been dismissed from the hospital, that once she got home, she was going to raise money to help her hospital fight her cancer. And the cancer of those others who were like her as children. Well, true to her word, 
she sets up a lemonade stand. You know, that's a real moneymaker <laughs> in her front yard. And on the first day alone had raised $2,000 to combat this cruel disease, which ultimately took her life at the age of eight, but not before in her lifetime she had raised $1 million. And as of this morning, over $45 million had been raised for the Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. Alex knew how to take lemons and make lemonade. Friends, don't mishear me this morning. I want to be quite clear. I'm not trying to trivialize our troubles. I am not. I'm not trying to paper over our pain. I'm not advocating some kind of Pollyanna spirituality. In fact, I find myself disturbed deeply when people glibly say, it's all good. I'm going, no, it's not. But you make a confession week by week and it runs something like this. God is good all the time. And that's the truth. Because there's bound to come some trouble in our lives. But that ain't nothing to be afraid of. There's bound to come some trouble in our lives, but that ain't no reason to be afraid. There's bound to come some trouble in our lives. So reach out to Jesus. Hold on tight. He's been there before. He knows what it's like. He will see you through. Cast all your cares upon Him. He cares for you. And that's the gospel. And that's the truth. Our loving Lord Jesus, we're grateful that you who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in you. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you did not insulate yourself from our sorrows, but you are man of sorrows. What a name. Alleluia, what a Savior. So this morning, during this time of response, we come yielding our lives to the one in whom there is life, Jesus Christ the Lord. For those who have never made this confession, this invitation is opportunity to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. For those who are struggling with trials, for those who are seeking to find their way, thank you for a ministerial staff that is here to respond to such needs. For those who are searching for a church, may this search in this day, in this place, with this body of believers. So, come Holy Spirit, hear us calling, move in our midst, drawing us to the Lord Jesus, who tells us that if He be lifted up, He will draw all people unto Himself. This we believe, this we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.